Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's story is rich with culture and magic, and it's perfect for those of you who love horses. I had the honor of meeting the author, Jillian Bronte Adams, at the Realm Makers Conference in July, where I immediately signed up for her newsletter to get this story. Jillian writes epic fantasy novels, including the award-winning Of Fire and Ash and The Songkeeper Chronicles. She loves strong coffee, desert hikes, and trying out new soup recipes on crisp fall nights. I found that combination oddly fascinating because in the desert I live in, we don't get many crisp fall nights, and we don't eat soup very often. Her favorite books are the ones that make your heart ache and soar in turn. When she's not creating vibrant new worlds or dreaming up stories that ring with the echoes of eternity, she can be found off chasing sunsets with her horse or her dog, Took. I absolutely love that she combined her love of horses with her love of fantasy for her series. Today's narrator is Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and the narrator, as well as how to enter our giveaway. For now, please enjoy Of Shadow and Rust by Jillian Bronte Adams. The reek of spilled ale stung Markham's nostrils. He clutched reflexively at the flask on his chest and shoved it away. It clanked, empty, to the ground beside his bedroll. Groaning, he pried his one eye open to the familiar sights, scents, and sounds of the outrider training camp. Steeds nickering, tack creaking, cook fires sputtering to life, and to an even more familiar restlessness gnawing like hunger pangs in the pit of his stomach. He lay still a moment, mustering the will to rise and face one more day. One more monotonous day, just like every other. Markham knew it with a certainty that resonated through his bones. He felt it in the crick of his neck as he finally sat up and swiped a hand across the prickly stubble on his face. Felt it in the dull ache in his spine that had stiffened overnight, and in the twinge in his knee that he'd wrenched in a painful tumble weeks ago. Weeks. Time was, his bones could bounce back instead of break. No longer, it seemed. But if there was one thing his bones could still be relied upon to do, it was to sense trouble brewing like a thunderhead miles away. And today, like every day in recent memory, they offered no warning, only a dull creak of boredom. Leaves rustled faintly behind him. He heard a stifled breath. It seemed he was not alone. Habit drove his hand to his flask, buying time for his soul-breath heightened senses to try to uncover the identity of his tail. He uncorked it and threw back a swallow before remembering that it was empty, swiped his wrist over his mouth to cover his mistake, and sniffed. Ah, there it was. Nearly masked by the tang of smoke and of ale, the slightly musty scent of dog. "'You're back early,' Markham remarked, tugging his boots on, then shrugged into his leather jerkin and did up the laces." He glanced toward the tree behind him in time to see, rather than hear, Finian drop from a crook in the branches. The lanky sixteen-year-old lad straightened, and Markham noted with pride that he had clasped the fletched ends of the arrows in his belt quiver, preventing them from rattling, then reached to pat the head of the wolfhound who padded up beside him, tongue lolling from its crooked jaw. 
It was, without a doubt, the ugliest hound Markham had ever seen, and that was disregarding the various scars scattered beneath its perpetually matted coat and the misshapen skull that gave one eye a squint and made it look like it was one wrong move away from ripping out your throat, which might very well be true if rumors were to be trusted. And you're waking up late, Finian said, shouldering his bow with a questioning look, those keen eyes of his, more keen in truth than could be accounted for by his shadow rider bond, swept over Markham's mud-caked boots and discarded oil cloak, then latched onto the empty flask still clasped in his hand. I looked for you first in the hut, he said simply. Markham corked the flask and stuffed it in his belt, feeling an odd twinge of guilt that the lad should have caught him gripping it in his sleep even if it was the only thing that dulled his restless yearnings these days. Weather like this? I'd sooner be caught afoot in the Gauroth range than sleep indoors, you know that. And I'm up late because I was awake late, overseeing the sandblasted shadow run for a bunch of stumbling-in-the-dark recruits barely able to tell their mount's mane from its tail. Shoving stiffly to his feet, he turned to heft his saddle and found Finian holding it out for him. Is that why you sent Terran to tail me? Markham grinned wolfishly. Sent who to do what now? Terran, your second spear, to tail me. It was supposed to be my first solo mission, Markham. Uncertainty and something else, something a little like betrayal, flickered in the lad's eyes. Didn't you trust me to complete it? Or am I just another stumbling-in-the-dark recruit? Taking the saddle, Markham swung it up onto his shoulder. And did you complete your mission without assistance from Terran? Finian lifted his chin proudly. Of course I did. Then stop griping. You completed your first solo mission and made it back before Terran did to report on you. Here, we call that a pass, Tedonal. But butts are for jokes, or the business end of an arrow. Markham straightened, grimacing as his back protested. Finian raised one eyebrow. You know, you do have a perfectly good cot in that hut, with a perfectly good straw pallet my mother stuffed for— If you're quite through, to Donal, I have work to do, and you have some recruits to kick out of their bedrolls and try to knock some more sense into before I have to see them again. Markham fixed Finian with a stern look that did nothing to quell the smile that broke out across the lad's face as he saluted and took off with a long, loping step, the wolfhound jogging beside him. Some might see spending a day with full recruits as grunt work at best, or as a punishment at worst, but to Finian it was a sign of trust and respect. And there was nothing that fueled the lad more. Could be he truly was ready, more so than Markham. Scratching at his chin, Markham watched the lad round the southern side of the camp until he'd ghosted beneath the cluster of trees where the stumbling recruits had made their camp before speaking. So... Howdy do, Taryn. She stepped around the side of a tree just to his left and dusted off her thick, fur-lined Stormrider cloak. How do you expect? He caught the wind of me only an hour out from camp, then used every trick you've ever taught him to lose me. Thought he succeeded, no doubt, and he nearly did. Took me three hours flying in a grid search to pick up his trail again, and another thirty minutes of beating up wind to have him in sight. And don't smile, you old wolf. You knew well enough how he'd do or you wouldn't have sent him. Markham indulged the traitorous grin tugging at his lips. It wasn't like Finian could see it. And what if he could? The lad needed someone to be proud of him. 
he'd gotten little enough of that early on. So, Terran pulled out in front, facing him. His second spear over the Outrider training unit stood two heads shorter than he, with a dusting of winter turning her blonde braids ashen gray, but she was strung as tough as wirebrush and as unbending as the mountain roots of Harnoth where she had been born. It was customary in the Outriders to refer to one another by surname, Tedonal, Tehord, and so forth, but Terran was only ever Terran, to raw recruits and unit commanders alike, and no one, not even Markham, dared object. You tell him yet? she asked. Nope. You were all set to. What changed? Markham shot her a withering stare. You know what changed. And? Terran pressed, folding her arms across her chest. It's been a month since then. Dynasties rise and fall in a month. In that time, our own King Desmond has lost one potential heir and exiled the other, and him without a wife to promise him a third. She shook her head in a disbelief that echoed Markham's own feelings upon hearing the tidings of the tragic death of the king's son and the, dare he say, rash disinheritance of his daughter. Leaving the throne of Soldonia without a successor and the kingdom in a turmoil of speculation over which of the six other war chiefs might seize power next. So, Terran raised her chin challengingly, when are you going to tell him? Markham sidestepped her. Since when are you so invested? Hefting the saddle higher on his shoulder, he stalked toward the greensward in the center of the camp to fetch his steed, and Terran followed at a clipped pace that set two strides to his one. Since I watched that lad grow up, trailing you like a lost pup. Her words brought back flashes of a peaked face with dark eyes that seemed much too hollow to belong to a boy so scrawny and bruised, begging for the chance to ride with him and become an outrider, too. Four years ago that had been, a night that had changed the trajectory of his own life as surely as Finian's. No sooner had Markham made it back to camp than he traded his active commission for the post of Apex over the training grounds instead, foregoing the endless variety and peril of the trail for a steadier, stabler life for the lad. Markham cleared his throat to dispel the recollection. From the sound of it, he's no lost pup now, unless you'd care to amend your report. Hard to be, when he's got you around to guide him. Of course, if that were to change... He deserves to hear it from... Terran broke off as they passed four river riders, dripping wet and smelling of river water, no doubt from an early morning aquatic exercise. All four dropped their gear with a splat and threw wet, sloppy salutes toward Markham as he passed. Shades. New recruits. What did they think this was, the King's Ayed? Terran peeled off, barking at them to pick up their gear, and Markham strode on. He could practically recite the lecture that rolled off her tongue. He had, after all, given it a thousand, thousand times before, it seemed. All about how an outrider's gear could be the difference between life and death on the trail, and should be treated with the care that warranted. Outriders were the first and last defense of the kingdom, after all. Forever out on patrol in the wilds, cut off from support, with naught but their wit and their skill, and the gift their sacred bond with their soul-born steed offered to aid them. Shadow riders could vanish or ghost with their steeds into shadow. River riders could be sustained underwater far longer by a single breath, while storm riders like Terran could see with the clarity of an eagle from a high, soaring distance. 
Sometimes, Markham wished she didn't see things quite so clearly up close, too. What was that, Taryn? You going soft? he asked by way of distraction when she caught up to him on the central greensward. There, between the holding pen and the stables, a mixed herd of soulborn steeds grazed, mostly powerful earth-hewn and winged stormers, ethereal shadowers, and elegant riverin. There were a few sea-bloods, though it could be tricky to maintain their health this far inland, and only a handful of fireborn who drifted on the outskirts, wreathed in a haze of smoke. Soft, Taryn repeated with a snort. On who? On those river riders. You let them off easy. He whistled for his shadower, Fira. Her inquisitive head appeared in the center of the herd, long dark ears perked, and she nickered softly, then started toward him. Watching her move was like watching mist glide over still waters. In moments, her soft, whiskery muzzle brushed against his calloused palm, and she snorted out a warm breath. Markham scratched beneath her chin. Easy? How so? I ordered them to clean and oil their gear until it shone before even thinking of setting foot in the mess hall. I'd have them clean mine, too. He slung his blanket and saddle onto Fira's back, and the mare cocked one hip as he reached for the straps. I'll try to remember that, Taryn said wryly. Now back to what I was— Oh, you know how it is in the Outriders, Taryn. Never backward, only onward. His joints had been stiff when he woke up, but his fingers quickly regained their dexterity as he rapidly did up the buckles of both saddle and bridle and tested his cinch. Speaking of which, the three-monthers go out on their first patrols tomorrow, which means a full day of inspections and answering foolish questions for me, and a full night of overseeing the Shadower Run for you. So we'll continue this conversation tomorrow, then? Shades, but she was persistent— like a drop of water carving its way through stone. Still, he wasn't just any old stone. He was a mountain root, rugged as iron and twice as stubborn. He swung up onto the saddle and tossed her a sardonic grin. Better snag some shut-eye while you can. Snorts rang out from the herd on the greensward, and Fira shrilled out a long cry, a greeting for an unfamiliar steed. Hand falling to the familiar grooves his fingers had worn into the grip of his saber, Markham twisted to see what had caught her attention. Two stormrider scouts approached on their winged steeds, escorting another stormrider wearing the red badge of a messenger on his left upper arm. The man spied him. Sir? Apex Markham. Markham cursed beneath his breath and gathered up his reins. Terran stepped up to his stirrup, a glint of retaliatory humor in her gray eyes. Isn't that one of Apex Angharald's messengers? That would be what, the fourth one? Sure you don't want to continue our conversation? He cast her a dry look and urged Fira on, sweeping past the startled messenger at a lope. Sir, I have a message. Not now. Demands of the service. Markham tore out of the camp at a speed that no raw recruit would have dared, lest they face his ire. Once out in the open, he gave Fira her head, racing all the way to the hillock where the three-monthers had been instructed to meet him. He had a unit of fresh patrollers to inspect and packs to empty, and contraband, any item that wouldn't serve them in the field, to confiscate, and yes, a host of foolish questions to answer. The demands of the service were great indeed. Far too great to spare time for a message he couldn't answer yet.
It was the endless variety of the life that had first attracted Markham to the Outriders thirty-odd years ago. Days on the trail, nights under the stars, rarely in one place long enough to pick up dust before he was off and moving again. That had all come to a grinding halt when he took up his post here at the training camp with its sprawling stables and pens, pitched tents for the riders and a hut for the apex, and a mess hall that served up three hot meals a day. Not that he was complaining about hot meals so much as the reliability of them. Reliably timed and tasteless, like so much of his life these days. Not once in all these years had he regretted his decision to look after Finian, but he would be lying if he didn't admit that the stillness and stability of his current situation was wearing on him. He was made for the wilds, for roving under the elements, surviving by the skin of his teeth, and slumbering at night nestled between the embrace of near earth and distant sky. It was an itch he just couldn't shake, and no amount of tossing packs or berating raw recruits helped. It nagged at him even now as he completed his inspection and sent the new patrols off to complete an exercise with their leaders. He squinted up at the sun, which had barely passed noon, and reached for the only thing that offered any sense of relief. His flask. It came too easily to his lips. Shades. Still empty. He had forgotten to refill it. Blame Taryn and her relentless prodding, and the messenger. If he hadn't been in a rush to avoid them both, he would have thought to swing by the mess hall. Ironic, wasn't it? Here he'd spent the morning blasting the patrols for their lack of foresight, and he'd run off without the one thing he actually needed to get through the day. Aside from Fira, of course. As if she sensed his disquiet, she twisted her sleek neck around and snorted softly, eyeing him beneath her dark lashes. He softly slapped her neck. Don't you go judging me, too. Returning to camp, even to sneak a refill of his flask, would no doubt mean dealing with the messenger and the host of other tiresome administrative duties bound to have piled up over the morning hours. So instead, he aimed Fira toward the eastern glade where Finian had taken the stumbling Shadow Rider recruits to run them through their paces. He rounded the wood at a distance and entered it from the south, ghosting with Fira as soon as they slipped into the cooling embrace of its shadows. Her hooves moved soundlessly over fallen leaves and springy grass alike, enabling him to approach without being seen. Finian had stationed his steed in a clearing spattered with thready patches of sunshine and shadow cast by a few lone trees, while the recruits attempted to reach him without being seen. Watching skilled shadow riders train was an exercise in boredom. If they had mastered their soul-breath bond with their steed, you couldn't hope to catch more than the flick of a leaf or an unnatural blurring out of the corner of your eye. But these were but raw recruits, unaccustomed to slipping from shadow to shadow, and watching them stumble into unanticipated patches of light and blunder over bushes that rattled loud enough to break the deadening silence that cloaked a shadower's movements was almost physically painful. Or it would have been, if not for Finian's sharp eye. Again and again he called out, describing the rider he had sighted and sent them back to try again. Once or twice, he even spied one Markham had missed. In the span of half an hour, not one rider made it within two spear lengths of him, and as they grew frustrated, their attempts became even clumsier. Finian called the halt, and the riders gathered around, sweat-streaked and sullen-faced. 
The first drawling words out of the lad's mouth made Markham snort in amusement. Seemed the lad did a passable imitation of him. He stifled the sound as Finian reverted to his own manner of speaking, earnest and none too loud. Remarkably, the recruits actually seemed to be listening, though Finian couldn't be more than a year or two older than most of them. They obeyed swiftly enough when he called the clumsiest one to join him in the center of the clearing and sent the others back to try again. This time, as soon as the first rider was sighted, Finian called him to trade places with the clumsy rider, who was sent back to take his turn. Same with the next. Huh. Clever idea, that. Gave the recruits a chance to see their fellows' mistakes from Finian's vantage and try to correct it when they rode. Sometimes, the only way to understand what you were doing wrong was to see it from another point of view. The lad was a bright one, sure enough, and an asset to the training camp. Ought to be, since he'd practically grown up in it. Truth was, Markham should have assigned him his solo mission months ago, then posted him to an active-duty patrol. That certainly would have made sharing his own tidings easier. But he had put it off until later, for his sake, maybe, or the lad's, and then the news had come, and maybe he had grown soft, but the lad's world had already been upended too many times to risk doing it again. Now, later was barreling toward him like an earth-hewn at full tilt. Suddenly, all Markham could think of was his parched throat and his thick tongue and his empty flask. Shades take that messenger. Sighing, he turned Fira around and rode back to camp. He never made it to the mess hall. No sooner had he dismounted and caught a glimpse of the sand-blasted messenger seated just inside, nursing a flagon, than he was waylaid by a steady stream of outriders with pressing questions, dire problems, and desperate needs, most of which were not actually pressing, dire, or desperate, judging by the lack of bleeding wounds or corpses. Terran's doing, no doubt. She was his second spear. She was supposed to see to this sort of thing when he was busy. Then again, he had sent her off to sleep to stop her prying. Possibly he should have given that more thought. It was late afternoon, almost evening, before the clamor died down and he set his sights on the mess hall again, only to see the messenger striding purposefully toward him, and not a single distraction in sight. Still, he wasn't apex here for nothing. Not now, he said, striding past as the man opened his mouth. Still busy. Clasping his wrists behind his back, he moved on at a clipped pace through the training camp, which unfolded in a ring of concentric circles around the central greensward and stables. Everywhere he stalked, past riders sparring, oiling gear, or sharpening their weapons, conversations hushed, then sprang up after him. Maybe it was surprise at seeing him walking the camp unhorsed. Maybe it was just a healthy dose of awe, or even fear, at the reputation he had earned. But time was, back when he commanded his active unit, he not only had his thumb on the pulse of the riders beneath him, he was the heart that sent the blood pumping through their veins. The loudest voice at the fireside, the rowdiest snort at every joke, the first up, the last asleep. He had been their leader, but he had also been one of them. Here they saw him as sitting too far above, like an earth rider atop his great earth-moving steed, and it rankled him more with each passing day. He pulled abruptly to a halt before the stables, where Finian and his recruits were untacking their steeds and turning them out onto the central greensward. Or rather, the recruits were. Finian's shadower, Sif, waited patiently while he strode among the riders, 
offering encouragement here or critique there, clasping a shoulder or delivering a well-placed jab to the ribs. Whatever he said, they went away with their heads held high, no doubt thinking themselves well-prepared to face the shadower run again. Good lad. They'd still be in for a bruising, but the training they'd received would serve them well. Markham nodded and started to turn away, but the rattle of oncoming hooves stopped him. Two storm riders and a fire rider, all wearing the dark green cloaks issued to recruits when they were assigned to scouting patrol, drew up sharply before the stables and sprang from their mounts. They hitched their steeds and started to untack, but the fire rider stalled at the sight of Finian unsaddling Sif and seized the others by the shoulders. Oh, look, he brayed. It's the poacher's son. So it is, said another. Keep an eye on your steeds, lads. Like carrion fowl circling their prey, the three crowded around Sif, and even from a distance Markham could see Finian stiffen. But the lad ignored them, pulling off Sif's saddle and blanket, then running a rag methodically over the sweat marks on her back and under her girth. Clamping his own jaw shut, Markham eased silently nearer, keeping to the shadows where his soul-breath gifting would conceal him from view. This he needed to see. "'You know what they say,' added the third. "'Like sire, like colt.' "'You sizing her up for parts to Donal? I hear you can get a fair price for mane and hoof clippings in Canthor, not to mention the really juicy bits, like eyes and intestines.' Crouching to rub down Sif's forelegs, Finian craned his head up. You heard, Terauri? Sounds like you know more about it than I do. The other two snorted, but Terauri, the fire rider, bent over him. That so? Because I also heard Lord Craddock ordered your da hung for it. Maybe, his voice fell low, we should be sizing you up for a noose like him. Terauri seized Finian and yanked him up. Only when the fire rider tensed abruptly did Markham catch the glint of the arrowhead threatening his windpipe. The shaft lay flat against Finian's forearm, and he did not shove closer, did not press the tip to his harasser's throat, or even prick it, as Markham might have, but the threat was clear nonetheless. Terauri swallowed, his glare burning like raked coals. He released his grip and stepped warily back. Finian slid the arrow into the quiver at his belt with a flick of his wrist. That should have been the end of it but the other two started forward, shoving up their sleeves, and Markham had seen enough headstrong fools rush into a fight to know how this was going to go. He emerged from the shadows and coughed loudly, and the eyes of all four widened as they saw him. He swaggered up to them, fixed his stare on each in turn, and waited. One of his favorite tactics, give a fool enough lead, and he'd strangle himself with it. Apex, Terauri began. It's not what it looks like. Ah, he couldn't have asked for a better opening. That a comment on my vision, Terauri? You think because I only have one eye that I'm blind? No, that's not... How long have you been here? Terauri's eyes flashed at the interruption. Five months. Five months, Markham repeated, lip curling in disgust. And still a pit-spawned fool or you'd know by now that nothing from here to the farthest clutching fingers of the Gauroth range escapes my notice. The other two looked abashed, but Terauri's expression darkened. Pit spawned? Don't you know who my father is? He is the- He could be Emperor of Canthor for all I care. The blood in your veins doesn't make a lick of difference to your steed. 
and it sure as floods doesn't to me either, which you should know by now, along with the fact that nothing irritates me more than a pack of idiots rioting at wisps of smoke. And you should further know that the last person you want to irritate in this shades-cursed camp is me. So I'd suggest you three hightail it out of here and get back out on patrol. We just got back from patrol. Sir, Terrelry practically spit that last word. And now you're headed out again. Lucky you. Markham fixed the young hothead with his most blistering grin the one he'd been told could strip bark from trees and rust from blades, and the backbone from even the most recalcitrant recruit. Sure enough, the other two backed away, looking duly chastened, towing the belligerent Terrauri back toward their steeds. Markham let them cover half the distance before calling out, "'Where do you think you're going? Your steeds just got back from patrol, didn't they? They deserve a rest. Finian can set them loose.' You lads, head out on foot. On foot? Terralri pivoted to face him, fists clenched at his side. The lad had spirit, that was clear. But spirit without sense was about as much use as a spark in a dry field. We're due out on patrol, our real patrol, at dawn. There's no way we'll be able to make it. Dawn, you say? Markham squinted up at the sky. Best get hoofing. Markham watched the three scouts toiling over the hills that surrounded the camp and made no effort to disguise his grin, but he kept one corner of his eye trained on Finian as the lad released Sif onto the greensward and began untacking the scouts' steeds. To the unattuned observer, Finian's movements might have seemed as smooth and steady as ever, gentle as a whisk of wind brushing over sun-gilded grasses, but Markham knew him well enough to see the knot of tension in every limb— and the way it forced a staccato beat into every flick of his hands and fingers, to see the anger pulse in his clenched jaw, and the grief shuddered behind his dark eyes. Markham stepped up to the hitching post and leaned one shoulder against it. Care to talk about it? Finian did not turn. Not particularly. Pressuring him to speak before he was ready would only cause him to balk, so Markham just grunted, Good, because my whistle is dry then requested his observations on the stumbling recruits instead. But he only half-listened to Finian's report, focusing more on the weft of the lad's voice and the gradual unwinding of the tension in his movements as he rubbed down all three steeds, then tended a raw scrape on the fetlock of one of the stormers. It had been a month since tidings of Donal's execution had reached them. Finian's father had been caught with bloody hands harvesting the organs from a trap-killed soulborn no doubt to offer them for sale in foreign lands, perhaps even Canthor, as Terralri had suggested. There was no greater offense in all of Soldonia than the slaughter of its mighty steeds who were capable of sharing the soul breath and bearing bonded warriors into battle. And in the eyes of many among the outriders, there was no greater shame than that which stained all who shared the offender's name. Today's confrontation hadn't been the first, and it wouldn't be the last. But Finian had taken it in stride. He had not reacted with violence before it was warranted, and even then, he had shown more restraint than Markham might have, made Markham wonder why he'd ever doubted that the lad was ready to be off on his own, or that he'd be able to handle Markham's tidings. He deserves to hear it from you. Shades. Terran was right, like usual. 
Not for nothing had he chosen her as his second spear, despite rumors that, in her youth, she had ridden roughshod over the borders of the law, and of Soldonia, too, smuggling in trade goods from Riacor. Made her a flaming fine outrider, in his opinion, since she knew the wilds like none other. He waited until Finian released the three steeds onto the greensward before clearing his throat and motioning for the lad to join him. Come stretch those legs of yours and let me bend your ear a spell. But it was with an oddly tight step in comparison to his usual long, gliding stride that Finian fell in beside him. What more is there to say but good riddance? That was not at all the response Markham had been expecting, and for once he found himself speechless, his tongue tangled like a catch rope. How in flames had Finian uncovered his tidings? Maybe it's a poor response from a son, Finian went on, wiping the sweat from the back of his neck, but he wasn't much of a father. He, Donal, of course. Still, not much of a father was putting it lightly as far as Markham was concerned. Any man who raised a fist to his family, who made a lash of his words, and who stood tall by making them feel small, well, he deserved to become better acquainted with the filthy soles of Markham's boots. Still, Finian's voice fell, now my mother can finally be free. Markham fixed Finian with a sharp look. You don't mean to say he had been harassing her. Your mother was never to have seen hide nor hair of him again after that night. That night had changed both their lives, when Markham, riding to reunite with his unit in Gimliel, had stumbled across a miner's hut where a beaten boy stood guard over the unconscious brute who was his father, while his bruised mother tended an injured wolfhound pup. One sniff of the reek of swill on the man's breath, and Markham had snagged Donald's boots with his catch rope and dragged him off through a stream to rouse him. Then he'd seen to it that the man knew just who he'd find waiting for him in the shadows should he ever decide to return. Finian shook his head. Neither of us has seen him since, but she's finally free of his shadow, and I can't find grief in that, only relief. And as for me, he trailed off, looking abashed, and when he spoke, his voice was quiet as a spring rainfall. Well, sir... You've been more a father to me than he ever was. Suddenly there was a lump in Markham's throat, and a fire warming his chest from within. He wanted to seize Finian in his arms and say, Aye, lad, you've been a son to me. He wanted to hold the lad tight until his world stopped toppling. He wanted to shield him from all the threats that would come his way. But he couldn't. Here in this camp, he was as much Finian's commander as he was anything else. And if he would truly help the lad, it wouldn't be by sheltering him from the forces that would seek to bend or break him, but by forging him into a blade of tempered steel capable of withstanding the pressure. In the end, all Markham managed was to cough out, Aye, lad. Somehow, judging by the way Finian straightened, it was enough. Only then did Markham become aware of the growing noise spreading through camp, the murmur of voices, the steady thudding of hooves, and the distinct clang of rattling mail. A mass of steeds and riders was moving up the winding central path. Not recruits, these, even at a distance, he could tell that, but full-fledged outriders. And at their head, mounted upon a tall gray earth-hewn, was a thick-set figure with thick gray braids that ran down his back and a beard of stark, snowy white. Is that... 
Finian darted Markham a questioning look. Aye, Markham sighed. Apex Angharalt. War chief over all the outrider Ayeds. And he wasn't alone, either. The tall, hawk-faced storm rider at his side, clad in a cloak of blue so silky it seemed to shine with its own inner light, with his golden beard neatly trimmed and his battle harness gleaming, could be none other than Riordan Tefallon, apex of the third outrider Ayed. Later, it seemed, had overtaken Markham. Now he really, really wanted a drink. He folded his arms to keep his fingers from twitching to the empty flask tucked into his belt, waited for the entourage to draw to a halt before him, then drawled, Apex Angharalt, welcome. This is a surprise. Angharalt's sharp, grey-eyed gaze hooked onto him. Is it, Tahord, really? Seeing as you've sent back three of my messengers without a reply, I'd have thought it obvious you've left me no choice but to deal with you in person. Well, the man had never been one to pull his punches. Not when Markham was but a raw member of his patrol, and clearly not now. Still, Markham just twitched a dry smile. I was, of course, referring to Tefallon's presence. He nodded at the golden-haired apex who sat at the head of a patrol, all bearing the emblems of the third Ayed on their shoulders. Tefallon scanned the rugged camp with the look of a man inspecting an insect impaled on the tip of his sword. Had I known he was coming with a full entourage, I would have seen suitable accommodations prepared. Still, young Tadonal here will see you're comfortable. Tadonal? Riordan Tefallon blinked from Markham to Finian, and his look of disdain deepened as the rider beside him whispered something in his ear. His lip curled. Somehow, Tahord, I doubt that very much indeed. With a clank of spurs and a rattle of mail, Angharalt dropped from the saddle and deposited his earth-hewn's reins in Finian's hand. Comfort for me starts and ends with a brew, Markham, and if anyone can point me toward one, it's you. So, Markham rotated his refilled flask on the rough-hewn tabletop, ale sloshing comfortingly inside. Sensing that this would be more sparring match than conversation, and he would need all his wits to come out on top, he'd allowed himself only a taste so far. He sabered the lingering burn in his throat. So, he repeated, fixing Angharalt with a stare. You going to tell me why you brought that into my camp? He nodded toward the open tent flap, where Riordan Tefallon could be seen barking orders as Finian guided the riders toward the stables, where they could feed and water their steeds. Angharalt took a long pull on his tankard. That is the apex of the third Ayed, and the cousin of Gimliel's war chief, born into the sort of connections that you or I could strive in vain for years to forge on the battlefield. I know that. Why did you bring it here? The old man's lips twisted into a cunning grin. Because I know you're going to say no to me, and I want you to see who just might say yes. Markham let out a snort. To Fallon? He kicked back on his bench, leaning to look back at the golden-haired Apex who was now demanding that Finian take him on an official review of the training camp, then shook his head, scratching at his eyebrow with his thumbnail. He's raw as a fresh-caught wild-born. He's seen fighting on the border. Seen it, aye. 
but from the looks of his harness only from afar. You can't convince me that blade of his has ever drawn a drop of blood, unless he's nicked himself shaving. Angharalt regarded him with a world-weary gaze. Oh, come on, you and I both know the type, all flash and no flame. Be that as it may, Angharalt drew out the words. End of this month, I'm retiring my spurs, turning in my commission, and collecting my promised pair of broodmares from the king's own stables. Got my eye on a clay-red earth-hewn sired by a sander and a dark bay from Carrig's line. Come next year, you'll find me on the plains of Lacran with the start of my own pastured herd, which means someone has to take my place. Markham let the bench settle with a thump. You could throw a catch rope at any one of the other apexes at random and reel in a more qualified candidate. Let me guess, Craddock put his name forward? Aye, he did, and the king backed it. Oh, well. Shades, things were worse than he'd thought. Angharald took another long pull that left foam glistening on his bristling white mustache. Riordan Tefalon is a political creature with an oiled tongue. Yours has all the finer qualities of sandpaper. No point in oiling the truth. I doubt many of the war chiefs see it that way. You have ever been brash, Markham, of tongue and deed, and that may win you victories in the field, but not in the fire hall. Since he wanted back in the field and not the fire hall, that suited him just fine. Of course, that didn't mean he wanted to Fallon calling the shots. He uncorked his flask and allowed himself another sip. So that's it, then? You're naming to Fallon as your replacement? No, Angharalt slammed his tankard down, sloshing ale out over the sides. You ornery fool, I named you! Markham choked on a swallow. You, Markham, Angharalt said, mustache quivering. But you can't even see fit to grant my messengers an audience, let alone offer me, your commander, in case you've forgotten, the courtesy of a response. I ought to demote you to messenger for a month and see how you like it. If it got him back in the saddle for more than a few hours at a time, it would almost be worth it. You know what? Markham drawled, without bothering to disguise his lazy grin. You should do just that. I deserve it. Oh, I would. Believe me, I would. Angharalt jabbed a thick finger toward him, calling up recollections of Markham's early days in the Outriders, when he had served on patrol under a much younger and slightly less whiskered, but no less crotchety, captain. I would, and I would relish it if I didn't know you were itching so to get back into the field that you'd take just about any demotion that gets you out of here and consider it a reward, not a punishment. You know me, sir. Anything for the Outriders. Aye, I do know you, Angharalt shifted closer, a worrisome gleam in his eyes. I know you may be a wild spark tossed by the wind, but you're dedicated wholeheartedly to the mission of the Outriders, and to the valiant men and women who carry it out. Tefallon is dedicated only to elevating himself, so no, Markham, there will be no demotions for you, and no field commands either. A zing of alarm shot through Markham. Now, hold on. Oh, come, you think I haven't caught wind of your scheme? 
The rumors are spreading like wildfire. Markham de Horde wants a transfer back to the field. He's willing to drop in rank to get it. Angharald's expression was fairly thunderous now. Well, I won't have it. I won't see you waste your skill as a unit commander, toiling in some meaningless skirmish in the farthest corner of the wilds. Markham tossed back another sip from his flask, but that only fueled the warmth rising in his chest. You know I never wanted to leave the field to take this posting. You saw the lad when I brought him in. You understood that I needed to plant my feet for a bit so the lad could get his under him. He's got them now, and I... I need to feel the grit and grime of an honest day's ride on my skin again. I need to shake the rust off my bones and get back out there, out where I can be useful. Useful? Angharalt thudded his fist against the table, so hard his tankard wobbled. His pale gray eyes flashed, and a vein stood out on his forehead. He looked like he was about to have an apoplexy. Sky's blood! It's you or Tefallon! Would you see him as apex over all the outriders? Is there truly any choice? Markham corked his flask. No, I don't suppose there is. Standing with a wince at the ache in his knee, he tucked his flask into his belt. If you'll pardon me, I'm off to toast to Fallon on his new posting. He gave a languid salute and strode toward the exit. Do that and you'll find yourself without a commission in the Outriders. Markham stalled, heat settling in his stomach, and swung back to find Angharalt glaring at him, bearded chin jutting out stiffly. It's Apex, Angharalt said deliberately, or nothing at all. Was he bluffing? Markham doubted it. Angharalt had always had a reputation for forthrightness as well as doggedness. Stalking out now would mean throwing away more than thirty years of service, but staying would mean trading the work Markham loved for more of the monotonous sameness that had plagued him these past four years, not to mention dealing with parasites like Tefallon and the war chiefs. Markham set his jaw. I'll be out of here by morning. The shock that swept over Angharald's face made it almost worth it. To do what, exactly? Settle down on the plains of Lacran next to me? You expect me to believe you won't be bored stiff in a month? A month? He'd be lucky to last a week. Angharald, old campaigner that he was, too. Markham just shrugged. I hear the Riaki have been shredding our fighting units on the border. Don't reckon our side will blink when I ride up to enlist, with or without a commission. Heedless of Angharald's sputtering, he turned to leave and rammed boot to boot with Finian, standing half-ghosted in the shadow of the tent entrance. The lad looked like he had come face to face with one of the ancient warrior spirits that men spoke of seeing from time to time, mainly in the dead watches of the night or lying wounded on the battlefield. He swallowed, not meeting Markham's gaze, and canted back a step, opening the path through the tent flap, then said thickly to Angharalt, Apex Tefallon would have a word with you, sir. Markham's bones had failed him, shades take them. Of all the times for his senses to not alert him of trouble, first with Angharalt's ultimatum and now with Finian, he shook his head, watching the lad stride away from the mess hall as though there was an entire cloud of stormers gusting at his heels. If this wasn't trouble, he didn't know what was. 
Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Tefallon approaching, a complaint clearly outlined on his lips, and he shoved off after Finian instead. The lad wasn't headed toward the Greensward, as Markham might have expected, but toward the Apex's hut. His hut, though he stoutly refused to think of it as such. Come tomorrow, he wouldn't have to. That thought stirred an odd pang inside him, biting back a curse at the feeling and at the confounded ache in his knee. Markham stalked after Finian, catching up only after the lad flung open the door and disappeared inside. Markham halted in the doorway and saw Finian snatch an oil cloak and tunic off the hooks on the wall. Bundling them together into a messy roll, he tossed them onto his cot beside an open pair of saddlebags. What in flames do you think you're doing? Finian started, face paling, then tried to cover for it by grabbing a spare pair of trousers as well. Wheeling over to the cot, he started feverishly stuffing his belongings into the saddlebags, showing none of the care and precision that habitually marked his movements, whether waxing his bowstring or tending to the minor injuries common amongst the training herd. "'I'm packing,' he said quietly. "'Not like that you're not. I know I taught you better.' Markham shoved past the creaky door into the dim, stuffy interior and narrowly missed cracking his forehead on a low beam. What I want to know is why you're packing. Going somewhere I don't know about? The lad's dark eyes flicked up. No, but we're apparently going somewhere I don't know about. Out of here in the morning? That's what you told Apex Angharald, isn't it? There was a hint of defiance in the set of his chin and the flick of his wrist as he tossed his healing kit in and snapped his saddlebags shut. Not you. Me. I ride with you. The way he said it, suddenly all Markham could see was the boy he had been, with that bruised face and the battered fists staring up at him with a frightened question in his eyes. Markham felt something crack open deep inside his chest at the memory. He cleared his throat. You're a full-fledged outrider now, Tadonnel, ready to be assigned to an active duty patrol. You'll ride when and where your Apex commands you. Sure, and Apex to Fallon will send me straight to Gowroth. Not to Fallon. I'm still your Apex for a few hours more. I'll see you dispatched to a decent patrol before I ride out. One far from the border where he himself was going. He was bound for the thick of the fight where the raids were so fierce and the cost so steep that no able-bodied warrior would be turned away. The lad needed a few campaigns under his belt before Markham would willingly thrust him into that bloody conflict, if ever. I'll do right by you, lad. I always have. But Finian was already shaking his head. You think a decent patrol would accept me? Now that word of my father, his voice caught, of what he's done is spreading? You think I could ever be one of them? I'm going with you. You can't, Markham growled. You gave your oath to the Outriders. I became an Outrider because of you, Finian's voice cracked, and he turned away, shoving his hair back from his eyes. That's the reason. You could have been a charcoal burner or a leather worker, and I would have wanted to become one too. You could have told me you wanted to leave, and I'd have been glad to go with you, unless you just wanted to be rid of me. For the second time that day, Markham found himself speechless. He stared, flummoxed, at the lad for a good half-minute before his temper caught up with him again. Now see here, Tadonnel, you listen, and you listen good. I don't want to be rid of you. 
so you can get that fool thought out of your head once and for all. But you're a fair sight too fine of a shadow rider and a scout, not to mention an archer, to waste away from the outriders, even with that oaf to Fallon in command. Only as the words left his lips did it occur to him that he was giving Finian the same speech Angharalt had tried in vain to use on him. It was a decidedly unsettling realization. He stamped the feeling down. You can't change what your father was or what became of him, but you can be so flaming good at what you do that the taint slicks off you like water off a sea blood's hide, until all anyone sees when they look at you is you. And that can only happen so long as you stay here in the Outriders. His bones thrummed a warning an instant before a faint creak sounded behind him, and without looking back, he snarled. What is it, Terran? You going to stand there eavesdropping all day, or are you going to tell me what you want? Her cloak rustled as she lounged against the doorframe. If it was eavesdropping I wanted, the way your voices are carrying, I could have waited at the stables and not drawn your ire. Markham rolled his head to look at her, and the look on his face must have been a true scorcher, for she straightened abruptly. You are wanted on the outskirts. Scouts patrols bringing in something you'll want to see. He nodded and turned back to Finian, but the lad brushed past him without meeting his eyes, muttering, I'll fetch our steeds. Then he was gone. On the rumpled cot, his saddlebag slumped, forgotten. Markham sagged onto the cot beside them and slid the flask from his belt, fumbling to open the cork. He downed a long swallow, swiped his whiskers, then met Terran's intent gaze. Don't. Don't what? Say you told me so. She raised an eyebrow, which doubtless showed remarkable restraint on her part. Words already spreading through the camp. You can't mean to go through with it. Leave the Outriders for good? She sounded incredulous, as if the idea of leaving were unthinkable, and he couldn't blame her. Once, he had felt that way himself. But for the first time in a long time, his bones were alive and singing again with the rumor of change, and it might be an unsettling feeling, but it was a good one nonetheless. Sighing, he pushed to his feet. Wasn't there something I needed to see? Leaving or not, he was an outrider still, if only for the next few hours. Smoke, like a dense fog, shrouded the scout patrol as they neared the outskirts of the camp, though none of the green-cloaked figures were fire riders. Mounted with Angharalt, Tefalon, and Finian beside him, Markham felt Fira shift uneasily as the mass of steeds and riders pulled to a halt. At his nod, the scouts parted, and he saw her in the center. Not something, someone. She rode, it seemed, upon a living flame. Then he blinked, and it was not a flame but a young fireborn steed engulfed in fire that rose in a ceaseless wave from both mane and tail and threw off billowing black clouds of smoke. It pranced and tossed its head, and the scout's steeds shied back from it and from its rider, who clung undaunted to her wild, circling beast and stroked his tense neck with a gloved hand. Her leathers were ragged and blackened with soot, and Markham's keen eye glimpsed patches with severe fire and fall damage, one sleeve torn at the shoulder seam and hanging crooked, one knee of her chaps split with a jagged, bloody tear, and beneath the shadow of her hood and half-mask, a filthy bandage wound around her forehead. 
Murmurs arose behind as a steady flow of outriders trickled out of the camp to observe the newcomer, attracted, no doubt, by the smoke. Most fire riders trained their steeds only to flame on command, but this rider had clearly not yet won such mastery over her steed. Shades. He doubted they had been bonded longer than a week or two. Even so, a pasture-bred fireborn would have received a base level of such training to ensure it didn't set hayrick or stables alight without warning. That is no pastured steed, Angharald observed gruffly to the fire rider, clearly reaching the same conclusion and barreling, as was his habit, past niceties like names or greetings. How did you come by him? I claimed him, the rider said, from the crater of Koltar. The murmurs thickened, and now Markham could make out the word wildborn coursing through their midst. His gaze latched onto the bandage on the rider's forehead, onto the shape of the stains visible beneath the covering of soot, and he sensed rather than saw the rider stiffen as she understood his focus. She raised her chin and flipped back her hood, then without so much as a flinch or wince, peeled the bandage away, revealing a still raw wound cut, no, braided, into the skin. It was in the shape of a diamond that formed an X at the bottom, and from the renewed gust of whispers, Markham knew he wasn't the only who recognized it as the Kassar, or her as its bearer, as the king's dishonored daughter, cast down for her role in the death of her brother. Exiled and disowned by her own father, the lands patrolled by the outriders were vast and savage, but Markham doubted that there was any far-off or obscure corner of the wilds where rumor of her had yet to come. She was more notorious than any soul-born poacher, more tainted by that brand than any poacher's son. Angharalt muttered a curse, and Tefallon blanched, but Markham just raised an eyebrow curiously toward her. I am Apex Markham to hoard, and this, such as it is, is my camp, for the moment at least. What brings you here? I am Tor Nimid, her voice was a rasp but firm. I have come to join the Outriders. Riordan Tefallon scoffed, and his stormer stamped a nervous hoof and snorted, head twisted askance to keep the restless fireborn in sight. And do you think to deceive us with a false name? We know who you are, Caridwen Taldesmond. Peace, Tefallon. That is not her name any more, Angharalt said quietly. Markham just clicked softly to Fira, urging her forward until the coils of smoke wrapped around them both, and scarce inches separated them from the endless flame rising from the fireborn's crest. And Tornimid did not shy back from his scrutiny as he looked her full in the eyes, then took in the crusty scab forming across the brand and the pale streaks through the soot on her face that were not the traces of tears but the weeping of the wound. No. She did not shy back, but met his gaze with defiance, braced, it seemed, for a blow, for rejection, even as the slight tremor of her grip on the reins betrayed her hope. Angharalt spoke in a hushed rumble. Think, Tahord, to accept her into our ranks would stir up strife between the outriders and the war chiefs, not to mention the king. It would be a poor deed with which to take my place and Tefallon's voice rang out behind. Indeed, Apex, there is no saddle for one such as her for blood traders or kinslayers in my outriders. Or poachers spawn either, if Markham read his tone aright. He glanced back at Finian, 
who stared stonily straight ahead. No matter what the lad claimed, Markham knew that the Outriders had become a sort of home to him as surely as Markham had become a sort of father. Off to Finian's side, Taryn met his gaze with a raised eyebrow that dared him to prove her right again. He faced ahead once more, toward Tornimid, who had thrust her chin toward Tefallon with the reckless defiance of one spitting into the wind. And shades, but Markham couldn't help but chuckle at the sight as he tugged the flask from his belt, uncorked it, and threw back a swallow. His mind was made up before it reached his throat. Good thing they're not your outriders then, Tefallon, he drawled, gaze drifting back toward Finian. Hope sparked a light in the lad's dark eyes, outshining even the reflected glow of the fiery steed, and Markham nodded. They're mine, and my outriders aren't born to a saddle. They earn it. Then over to Fallon's incoherent sputtering and Angharald's demands that he swear a blade oath on it right there and then, he winked at the fire rider, who had been the king's daughter, and gave her a wolfish grin. You want to be an outrider, Tornimid? Ride for it. Terran seized her warhorn and blew the call for the gauntlet to assemble, and every outrider who could set boot to stirrup before the call died formed up in two solid lines with scabbarded blades and bows unstrung and spears held blunt end first. And as Finian swept into place beside Markham, and as she who had been carried when Taldesmond drew up before them, and the smoke of her steed seemed to wrap around her like a cloak, silhouetting her against the dying flare of the setting sun, before she plunged headlong into their midst, Markham felt more alive than he had in years. To shades with being back in the field, he had a feeling things were just about to get interesting around here. He knew it, somehow. All the way to his bones, he did. I hope you enjoyed listening to Of Shadow and Rust by Jillian Bronte Adams, narrated by Peter Franson of Christian Geek Central. If you want to read more by Jillian, go to JillianBronteAdams.com to find more of her books. The short story you just heard ties directly to her series, The Fireborn Epic, published by Enclave Publishing. The first book in the series is called Of Fire and Ash, and that's available now. The second book is called Of Sea and Smoke, and that comes out on November 21st. So you can pre-order it, read the first book while you wait, and then have it show up as a nice little Thanksgiving gift. Well, if you're American. But who needs a holiday to get yourself a little gift? If you enjoyed listening to Pater narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. We have a brand new giveaway up on the website, but instead of being available for just this month, it carries over into the first couple weeks of December, so I'm calling it our holiday giveaway. Jillian has offered up a signed paperback copy of Of Fire and Ash, plus a bookmark and map print, so you'll want to head over to findingfantasyreads.com giveaway to enter. I promise I've made it as easy as possible. As always, I will have links for all of those sites in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.